Hello, and thanks for listening into the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. We're a church in Nottingham, England, with a vision to see the church on fire and the city alive. You're about to hear a message in a series called Thy Kingdom Come, where we're walking line by line through the Lord's Prayer. Now, I hope for this series that we'll be inspired and equipped to go deeper in the lifelong adventure of prayer. I hope you enjoy the message. Last week, for those that were with us, and I know that about 1,400 people have so far viewed uh, last week's uh, service. 1,200 of those were, were my mother, um, but the other 200, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, but last week, we, I introduced the, this idea of the wilderness, and not least because it, it's, I think, a metaphor that is really what Lent is all about, but it's also specifically a metaphor, I think, um, for the church and for the world, the world right now. And uh, as I did that, I said that the, the wilderness is one of the central images for life as a Christian. There is no Christian person that at some point or other won't go into the wilderness. And particularly at Lent, we go into the wilderness together in some way. And the wilderness is important as a metaphor, as a, a way of understanding life, Christian life, and just life more generally, because it was important to Jesus. It was a place for him of preparation. This wilderness, this desert place was the beginning of what happened to him and for him. It was in, instrumental in making his ministry what it was. And it's the same for us too. It's in the wilderness, as we saw last week, that we're prepared and we're taught how to lean on God, to be people who are dependent on him for our daily bread. And I urged and encouraged us all to be leaning into God for daily bread, to Jesus who is our daily bread. Now, if you're anything like me, you're aware of that. If you've been in the church, as I have for most of my life, you're aware of the, the wilderness motif and metaphor. But if you're like me, the pace of this move into the wilderness that we've experienced in the last couple of weeks has caught you out. Those of us who've been part of churches like me, we know the drill. We know that Lent is about giving up coffee or if you're particularly adventurous, alcohol or maybe even, dare I say it, sugar. But very few of us have been able to comprehend the speed and the urgency with which this particular wilderness experience has caught up with this. This is not just about giving up coffee and sugar and alcohol. This is about giving up a complete way of life. Each of us has been drawn into a literally an isolated experience in our homes. And I don't think I'm overstating it when I say that for many of us, we'll be experiencing this wilderness in a completely unique way. In fact, I jumped on a, a call with a group of Christian leaders in the last week, and one of the, uh, the leaders on that call, who was the most experienced of any of us, said, this is the crisis of many of our lives. We, none of us have seen something like this before, and I really believe that's true. And I don't say with that to stir up fear or anxiety, far from it. I feel that hidden here is a huge opportunity, but we've just got to name that. None of us have seen this. We're walking away. This wilderness experience is taking us uh, through uh, something we've never experienced before. We don't know the way uh, through this, but we lean on Jesus as, as he takes us there. And I think we're experiencing this really personally. I certainly have in the last week. Just uh, this week, I, I took a funeral of a dear friend of mine who died after a, a, a long battle with cancer. And... Um, a member of my own family became seriously ill with this virus and is currently in hospital fighting. 
this isn't a metaphor. Most of us now will know somebody probably personally dear to us who's struggling. Or maybe we are. Maybe we've caught this or somebody around us has. This is real. And many of us will, experience, will be experiencing in this wilderness time fear. Because we're aware that we don't have the same assurances that we felt we had before we were plunged into this moment of desert, of wilderness. It's a place of challenge. I said that last week, but I also want to say the wilderness, again, to reiterate, is a place of transformation because it's a place where God can get hold of us in a new way. Partly this is because he can get our attention in a completely new way. The distractions with which we distracted ourselves in peacetime, in this new wilderness time, don't seem to do it. And so because of that, the wilderness can become for us uniquely a place of revelation. And so we turn to the Lord's Prayer. We come to the Lord's Prayer, which has been the text we've been journeying with for a few weeks now, to give us an answer, a sense of direction as we move forward. And just to recap for those of us who have missed out on this, the Lord's Prayer begins, as Amy read to us, our Father in heaven. In other words, it locates the address of the prayer, which is to God who is Abba, who is Father, loving Father, who invites us into his presence for grace and for mercy. And then we're reminded that this Father is holy, that we're to come to him, ready to receive an embrace, but we come, as it were, on our knees, aware of his greatness. And that we're to come seeking his kingdom above all else. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then once we've done almost that holy preparation, that intimate um, introduction, then we can begin to pray for our daily bread. And then we get to this moment where we pray, forgive us our sins. And I know what you're thinking. Johnny, Johnny, come on, give me a break, mate. The last thing I need to hear about here is sin. I don't need to be told what a naughty so-and-so I've been. I've been homeschooling for the last five days. I'm aware I am a sinner. I haven't had any PGCE, any training. I've been looking after my children. I haven't had any public uh, contact with anyone outside who isn't a child for the last week. I don't need to know I'm a sinner. Can we move on to some good news? But hear me out here, I do have good news. Because the reason we need to talk about sin, and in fact the reason the Lord's Prayer introduces the idea of forgiveness from sin is because there is forgiveness for all of us. One of the key gifts available to us in the wilderness and through prayer is forgiveness from sin. And that's good news. But firstly, we need to understand what sin is. Well, actually, you'll have noticed the students of the prayer who were listening to Amy as she read it will notice, actually, that the prayer itself doesn't say the word sin. In fact, the word that's used is debt. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. The word in Greek is ophelema. It means an offense or a fault, literally a debt. A debt is something you owe. A sin, therefore, is something that you owe to God. So sin is principally not here described as something you've done wrong. It's not being a naughty boy or a naughty girl. It's more basic than that. Sin isn't just something we do which displeases God. It's stuff we do which displeases God, which flows from the fact that we're not giving God something that we owe to him. And what do we owe to him above all else? What we owe to God is worship. What we owe to God is devotion. 
That's what we owe to God. We own devotion because he's holy. We own devotion because he's father. We own devotion because he's creator, because he's sustainer, because he's redeemer, because he's healer, because he's righteous. For all of these reasons and many more, we owe him devotion. And sin is the choice not to give him what is owed to him, but to give someone else or something else what only belongs properly to him, who above all is to be praised. And the actions of sin, the stuff we do which we consider to be sinful, flow from the fact that we've misdirected our love. We've misdirected our devotion and our appreciation. When it belonged to God, we've given it elsewhere. And yes, worship is about singing. It is something we do with our mouths, but actually more properly, it's what happens with our hearts and in fact our whole bodies. And the significance of the wilderness here is that the wilderness is consistently a place where worship is tested. Where worship is purified. Think of Jesus' own experience in the wilderness. If you read the early Gospels, they have a, uh, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have a picture of God uh, sending, the Spirit of God sending Jesus into the wilderness. And what happens is he's tempted in three different ways. He's tested in three different ways. And each of those tests is a test of worship. Firstly, the test, will Jesus choose to make stones, sorry, bread from stones? In other words, will he conjure up his daily bread rather than trusting God for it? Secondly, will Jesus jump down from the temple heights? Will he prioritize the spectacular in his ministry rather than getting down on the ground and serving? Thirdly, will Jesus take a shortcut? Will he worship Satan as a shortcut to the ultimate destination that he has? All of these tests and temptations for Jesus are temptations to do with worship. Will Jesus go the way God wants him to go? Will he offer his life to God in devotion? Or will he bow the knee before a lesser God? Will he take a shortcut? And in each case, we find he does not. Now, these three tests always are before each of us. These three tests have been so real for me. Jesus responds in perfect obedience for us. It's not always so easy. For me, I've felt and experienced that temptation to bake my own bread, to be uh, my own provider on so many different occasions. Even in this lockdown, uh, as a pastor, the temptation to sort of try and sort everything out, make it all right, to work and work and work in order to sort of hold things together has been significant. And actually, I've recognized, partly through the ministry of friends, uh, shout out to Mark Reeford particularly, Uh, that's actually not what I'm supposed to be doing. The second temptation I've experienced, the one Jesus experiences too, is to be spectacular. Maybe to put out some stonking message or a a daily thought, an hourly thought, uh, to impress people, to get back on Instagram and start sort of increasing exposure and all these different things. And maybe there is a place for that, but actually what's required here is not spectacular. What's required here is patient and consistent and faithful. And then finally, uh, this final uh, temptation I experience is to short, take the shortcut to authority. To try and build a platform, each of us experiences this, don't we? Rather than again just to proceed in obedience with Jesus. This is the temptation. These are temptations of worship. Worship is the debt we owe God. And therefore, sin is the decision to worship, worship anything less than God. Those things we allow to take our devotion and affection become false gods to us. And they take his place. They become rival gods. They threaten the place that belongs only to him as Dumbledore. (laughs) 
as Dumbledore said when speaking about the gods of money and long life. This, for the aficionados, is from the Philosopher's Stone. As much money and life as you could want, the two things most human beings would choose above all. The trouble is, humans do have a knack of choosing precisely those things that are worst for them. Don't we? Like the one true God, these other gods, these other things, whether it be long life, whether it be financial security, career success, relational favor, whatever they might be, they ask for our devotion. They ask for our worship. And they give us promises in response. Let me give you some examples. The God of entertainment says, worship me and you will never have to experience boredom again. The God of Eros, the God of sex says, worship me and you'll never experience the pang of loneliness again. The God of power says, worship me and you'll never feel weak or vulnerable ever again. The God of money says, worship me and you will never go without anything. You'll be able to do anything whenever you want to do it. And yet none of these gods is able to deliver on the promises they give, are they? Because... What we find when we pursue them is that we never have quite enough power. We never have quite enough money. We've never had quite enough sex. We've never able to stream quite enough entertainment. (laughs) There's always one more Netflix show to watch. C.S. Lewis put it like this, speaking in particular about the pursuit of beauty as a god, a rival god. He says this, the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they're mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. Idols always, to paraphrase Lewis, always break the hearts of their worshippers. It's in the wilderness. It is in the wilderness that we come face to face with the other gods we've been worshipping. The other things, processes, people, patterns of life that we've placed in the space which belongs only to him. Church, it is my analysis that the greatest problem we face, not just as Christians, But as human beings, is a problem of worship, misdirected worship. We just don't seem to be able to consistently choose the things which would make us most fulfilled. And it is in the wilderness, like the one we're in now, where we learn to see these idols for what they are. Where we're given the opportunity, absent of distraction, to face up to them, to see them. And therefore to renounce them, to move beyond them and to point our devotion again to God, the one true God, and to worship him for whom he truly is. We become still enough, perhaps for the first time, to call upon the name of the Lord, to put aside the other gods we've been relying upon to fill our lives with goodness and to allow him to take his place. And when we do, what we find is a God who is good, who is willing to fill our life with Peace and hope and provision, a God who never fails on the promises he gives. If only we would come to him in worship. Here's how he puts it in Psalm 81. I love this. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth 
and I will fill it. He's a God who is abundant in his provision, a father who longs to give great gifts to us, abundant gifts. And yet the tragedy of Scripture is how rarely we human beings are willing to open wide our mouths and indeed our lives. How often we're ready to focus and fixate on the small gods, the gods who are uh, actually creations, not the creator who is forever blessed. And so we miss the quality of life, the shalom, the peace and wholeness that God would have us, which uh, exudes peace, joy and contentment. Instead, we live lives of anxiety, distraction. What do you want? This is the question. What do you want? We have a choice. And it will never be put to us more starkly than it is right now in this wilderness moment. What do you want? This is a question I believe God is asking to each of us, you and to me. But at the same time, to our entire society. We simply cannot go on as we have been going on and expect to yield anything other than widespread anxiety. We cannot expect to create a culture and a society which isn't riddled with anxiety, individualism, chronic, chronic sickness. Unless we come back to God, unless we repent, unless we move toward him in worship and give him, above all else, our devotion. What do we want? Do we want to worship other gods and find ourselves brokenhearted or return to God our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer, our hope, our peace, our joy, our life, our future, our past, and our present. And returning to him for all of us means an about turn, a 180 degree shift. And that is termed in the Bible as repentance. It simply means coming home. And when we come home, what we experience is Abba, Father. What we experience is somebody who is ready to give us our daily bread and instantaneously forgives us of our sins. Who welcomes us in to celebrating a feast with him. Who finds a place in the house for us. Whatever we've done, wherever we've been, whatever, whatever other gods we've worshipped, he welcomes us back to his table to celebrate with him, to experience what it means to be a son and a daughter in his house and to experience the liberation that comes from being a child of God and the forgiveness that flows from his own heart. And as I say this to you this morning, whoever you are, wherever you are, maybe there's one person who wants to respond to my plea to come back to him, to respond to him in repentance, to offer your life, your soul, your body to him. I'm telling you the promise is this. If you do, you will be forgiven. You will be restored. You will be released from whatever has been enslaving you. And you will be given the free gift of new life. Isaiah puts it like this in chapter 30. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. For those that come back to him, what they yield in repentance will be rest. And what they give in quietness, they will reap in trust. Rest, a flood of grace and forgiveness. This is what the Father has for us. And the place for repentance and forgiveness is the cross of Jesus. It is here at the cross that we meet the one who went into the wilderness for us 
who experienced the weakness that we experience, yet who did so in perfect obedience, and so is able to offer us forgiveness, grace, and mercy. It is because of Christ, because of Him and because of His cross, that the moments we feel most alone, under most temptation, most uh, weak and vulnerable, that these moments become the greatest places of transformation for us. That is the message of the cross. That is the message of Easter that we're even approaching now. And it is the gift of the wilderness that we have in this time and this space an opportunity to come before God as never before. I urge you, I urge you today, this is the time. Now is the moment for us as individuals, for us as a society lean into God. Come back to Him. Lean into repentance. Now is the time. Now is the moment. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to some of our teaching here at Trinity. We hope it's blessed you. If you live in the city or live outside of Nottingham and want to connect more with the church, check out some of our practices and pathways on our website. We call them One, Few, Company, and Many. We're passionate about encountering Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things that he did, both individually and in our lives together, so that we may see the church on fire and the city come alive. You can find these on our website under the Connect tab. Thanks for listening.